Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. We'll play brand trivia and interview some of the leading entrepreneurs in today's business world. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the episode, and please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Let's begin. Welcome, sure. everyone. Welcome, everyone, to Brandology Podcast. Uh, this is David Morrow, your host, and co-host Mark Mosher is over on our mobile studios, which means he's actually on a golf course somewhere in Indianapolis at a uh, tournament. And so in, today in the studio, I have my celebrated guest, Hala Taha. Hala, thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you. That's great. So, you know, tell everybody um, in the audience kind of what it is that you do because you you are a living, breathing brand and you, you do a remarkable job. Um, uh, tell us what you do right now. Sure. Kind of. Sure. Um, I'm the host of Young and Profiting Podcast. We're a number one how-to podcast on Apple. We also have a really big following on CastBox and SoundCloud. And um, I also work at Disney Streaming Services. And so um, I lead a team over there for their email marketing. And um, that's what I do full-time. But then I have um, my podcast, which is basically a, a second full-time job. And I also uh, do podcast marketing for other really big podcasters. That's fantastic. So how did you how did you get into that? Like what what inspired you to get started there? Into podcasting? Well, I've always had a passion for radio. I started out my career in college. I worked at Hot 97. It's the number one hip hop and R&B station in the world. And I started as an intern and ended up being Angie Martinez's assistant. And she's um, one of the biggest personalities in the world, at least in New York. She was always known as the voice of New York. And yep. so, um, you know, I was really young still in college, um, actually dropped out of school to uh, work for her full time and, and be her apprentice, essentially. And so I was like assistant producing her show and I had online radio shows on the side. Um, I ended up leaving Hot 97 and I started a blog site. We are a very popular entertainment news blog site. Um, also had a radio, online radio show on the side of that experience. Um, interviewed tons of celebrities, hosted parties, um, did things like that. Um, and when the blog site boom kind of slowed down, um, I almost had a show on MTV and um, I didn't get that opportunity after we filmed for like three months and so I was kind of devastated so I shut the, the blog site down and then um, got an MBA and went into corporate. So I, I started at HP in marketing and um, my fourth year in HP I, I got the itch again and I wanted to get back into broadcasting and so I started a Young and Profiting Podcast. I had all these experiences that helped me um, 
you know, prepare for that moment. I had all this radio background. I knew how to audio edit. I was an excellent marketer, put all those things together. And I decided to start Young and Profiting Podcast. And, you know, we were, we had a lot of listeners and kind of took off right away. And so um, that's how it started. Well, that's phenomenal. Um, and you just, that was a mouthful, what you just said. So I have about <laughs> a 50,000 questions for what you just uh, mentioned, if that's okay. Um, yeah. and you, you accomplished all these things, what, in the first 70 years of your life? Because you're like <laughs> ridiculously young and yet you've been able to do all these things. That's impressive. Let's back yeah. up a little bit and let's let's drill down into some of this. Um, okay, you got your MBA. Congrats. That's fantastic. Thanks. Where'd you get that from? Uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology. And I graduated with a 4.0 top of my class. So um, awesome. big Congratulations. That's yeah. Great. What did you specialize in when you got your MBA? It was global strategy, so okay. it was pretty general. Yeah, it was pretty ge general. Um, you know, I already had marketing work experience and things like that, and so I just wanted like some business acumen, and so I went for something like pretty general. Also, um, I also had really terrible undergrad grades because I was so focused on the radio show, I had dropped out. I had a really crazy looking um, educational resume, and so it was sure. very difficult for me to get into an MBA program, mm -hmm. and so like that was the one I got into, and so I just ran with it. <laughs> But, but, but here's the thing. So I have my law degree and and I went kind of the traditional route, but I didn't do it so that I could be a, an attorney. I did it so that I could have business acumen and I could learn some of the tools and the skill sets and then translate those into business. Right. Very yeah. similar to, to what you did. And there was a, there was a phrase that they always used. And it was like, you know what they call the, the very last, the very bottom person in their class that graduate from getting their MBA or their law degree, right? They call them a graduate, right? The point is, is that you still did it. You did it, yeah. you got the degree and you, you take those tools and you apply them in real life. Yeah. Obviously very successfully. So one of the things that Mark, I will speak for him since he's not here and he's on the golf course. One of the things he always says in these, in these interviews is that um, nothing makes he and I feel worse about ourselves when we is is when we interview people like you right because <laughs> because it's just like oh my gosh I've accomplished so little in my life so far so <laughs> to, like even though we've done a ton of things it's still like man what have we been sitting on the couch eating chips for like 20 years like what is, what is going on <laughs> so so tell me about the um first of all where'd you grow up I grew up in like New Jersey. Jersey? New Jersey. What, yeah. What part? In, Outside of New York or over by like Delaware? Central Jersey. Uh, Central Jersey. It's called Wachung. Um, okay. Everybody knows Jersey by the malls that we're next to. So I'm near right. like 10 minutes away from Short Hills Mall. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. And what was the, and what were, when you, what type of environment did you grow up in? Did you grow up in a, was it working class? Do, do your parents, did your parents have, were they immigrants? Did they, did they, yeah, did, so, they have, uh, like, did they have medical degrees? Like what type of growing up did, did you have? Yeah. You so uh, you hit, you hit the, you years. hit the nail on the head. Um, so my parents were immigrants. They came from Palestine. And so, um, Fantastic. my dad, Fantastic. yeah. So they came from Palestine and, um, my dad, uh, he just recently passed away, but he was a surgeon. And so um, he I'm grew so up super poor. It's okay. He gave me a great life and I love him. And he, yeah. I know he still loves me. Um, yeah. So he, he really came from nothing. He lived in a house with like 10 other people in, in one room. He lived in one room. He had no electricity. 
They lived on figs and dates. His, he was a farmer's son in Palestine during a war. Um, you know, two of his siblings died from like very like minimal health conditions, yep. like really shitty situation growing up. Yep. But he made it. He, you know, studied on the way, walking to school a couple miles a day. And that was his sunlight to study. And um, he was Love extremely it. bright and he got a scholarship to med school in Egypt. And then he uh, went to America to um, learn how to do surgery and and, res and do his residency in Harlem. And then he just, um, you know, came here, started a medical center. And so he ended up being very successful. And um, I'm really lucky. And that's one of the reasons why I pretty much have dedicated a large portion of my life just doing charity work and, and starting this podcast to help other people because I yeah. feel like I was given life on sort of like a silver platter. Um, I wasn't spoiled, um, actually. Like, my parents really didn't spoil me. I wasn't the type of girl that had, like, Gucci and this very and that, even few, though I could have. Yeah, how very few people that are children of immigrants get spoiled, regardless of the amount yeah. of money that the parents have. It's it's not something that we see a lot, right? Yeah. Because, because it's that work ethic that is just ingrained in you. It's like, yeah, dad did well, he, he's making some money, now go work, and you're at like age 12. You're like, okay, I'll yeah. work. And, and it's just, like, you it's know, natural, our money, right? totally. It's and it's like, right. um, even though my dad was making a lot of money, he put all my cousins in Palestine through college and exactly. was taking care of all of our family. And so yep. it wasn't like we had all this money, even though we were, he was really successful. But right. um, it, it really was, in that regard, I was really lucky. I, I grew up in a school though, where I was one of the only like, I'm not even that, dark-skinned but I, I did look a lot different than my peers and um when it's i grew okay. up I, I live in indiana so and i'm italian <laughs> i'm italian so i'm i'm like i'm like considered exotic sometimes which is really funny, yeah which just shows yeah, you kind so, of how white it is here so it's kind of exactly funny. yeah i but grew yeah, up in no, a really I get it. I get it. white like affluent community and yeah. um i think that didn't um I didn't really shine until college because I think I wasn't really given the same opportunities as everyone else. You know, I had like the best voice in school and I would get, uh, you know, uh, solos in the concerts and things like that. But I was never like the lead in the play, even though I probably deserved it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I just wasn't really given opportunities. I tried out for the cheerleading team. They didn't put me on the cheerleading team. I tried out for the volleyball team. They didn't put me on the volleyball team. It was like a lot of things like that. I wanted to be school president and whatever. I never, never got it. Then I went to college and it was like, I was, you know, a, a uh, a main person in my sorority. I was on the cheerleading team. I was the lead in the plays. And like all of a sudden when I went to college, it was way different. Um, yeah. And so I, I wouldn't, I had like grit, a very average childhood. Kind of, so your grit there really kind of got traction, right? Yeah. So it's like, I was so used to being rejected because I was yeah. like, you know, the, the, it wasn't that I was like a loser or unpopular or anything like that. I was like very average. I had I had like a, a good group of friends. I wasn't like teased or anything. It's just that like the gatekeepers, um, when it came to like teachers and things like that, I was just never given any chance to shine. And then when I went to college, that was totally different because I went to a very diverse college. And then all of a sudden I wasn't different than everyone else. And then all exactly. of a sudden my talents could really speak for themselves. And I was like, actually, um, First of all, not afraid to fail because I always was rejected in high school for everything that I tried to do. And so I just would go for things and then all of a sudden things started to work. And so um, that's how I landed that uh, internship at Hot 87 that kind of set off my whole career. Um, immediately made me like, you know, very different in a good way from everyone else where I was hanging out with celebrities and uh, people that like, uh, you know, my peers looked up to and I was like living that life and like already like working in the industry. So it was really cool.
Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, where'd you go to undergrad? I went to New Jersey Institute of Technology, the same oh, place the I got my MBA. Place, that's why they, that's why they, MBA. Okay. yeah, Makes that's sense. why they let me in to get my MBA because sure. like, okay. I had Makes, some sort of a reputation. Sense. Yeah. So, so you've touched on it, but one of the questions that we always ask is what kind of events happened when in your youth or what type of people really inspired you to kind of drive you to take this path? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like what, what? What has driven you? Like, I can point to a couple events that happened when I was young. I can point to my dad who came from nothing and then built a company that my dad didn't get to go to college. He came from poverty. He was racially profiled, all of that stuff. And he made it. He didn't care. He just worked and he did it and he provided for his family and hired 120 people in his trophy and awards business. And, you know, back in the day, that was his thing, right? And so, um, like, I can point to that. What can you, like, obviously you talked about your dad, which is a huge Yeah. Thing. Anybody else that has driven you? Was your mom a very strong woman or, you know, yeah, like, I was mean, there my, somebody you knew in school or? Yeah, I would say it, it really was my, my dad. My mom's amazing and my mom's like super creative and I get a lot of my creativity, but it's really my dad. He really taught me the, like, the work ethic it takes to make it. He was very generous. He gave, like I said, he put my cousins through college. He would shop at Sears even though he didn't have to. He exactly. he just was all about um, giving back and like he would always just, even my friends, if he knew that I had a friend that like, you know, they weren't rich or, or he knew they were struggling, he, he would give my friends money um, when we'd hang out before the mall and stuff just so that they would feel like they could also shop and have fun. And so like that was the type of guy he was and, and he was just so wonderful in that way. And, and like, I just feel like I owe everything to him to, to try to give back to and the way that he did and, and help people along their way. Um, in terms of like, personally what events have happened to me where I like why I have so much motivation and drive so think about um, my typical day I, I basically have two full-time jobs so that's not normal and I don't one of them like I absolutely don't need to have a podcast and have a podcast marketing business I have an amazing career at Disney streaming services like one of the top companies in the world right now yep. so it's like I obviously I don't need to do that drive I believe, <laughs> believe yeah. we've heard of Disney yeah I think they're yeah they're, and it's like you can quote me here on this podcast, Brandology, that Disney's going to be something big someday. I really, think, <laughs> I really think they will. No, I'm just teasing, obviously. So yeah, so I mean, I I just feel like I'm so driven because mm -hmm. I want to have a voice. I want to be a positive influence, and my main driver is I want people to understand that life is limitless. I feel that there's a lot of people my age, um, and younger than me, older than me, um, who first of all feel that they they they're not talented enough to go after their dreams mm -hmm. or they've left their dreams behind for something more secure, like a, a corporate job. So that's exactly what happened to me. I was, you know, in the entertainment industry right out of college. I was an entrepreneur right out of college. I tried a million different things. I almost got TV shows. I was hosting concerts. It was an amazing time, um, but I sort of failed and then I had to go into corporate, be more steady. And then I decided I was going to start Young and Profiting Podcasts and it became extremely successful. And so for me, I also want to teach people that it's okay that you let go of your dreams at one point, um, but it's okay to go back to them, you know, when you're ready, when you're stable, when you have saved up money, when you are ready to actually take it to the next level. And right. so I just want people to believe in themselves and I feel like I 
have a really good talent of getting wisdom out of my guests. So like before I uh, prepare for a show, I have like best-selling authors on my show, like Mark Manson, Robert Green, mm -hmm. huge guests that probably get paid $20,000 to be on stage. I respect their time. I do 10 to 20 hours of research. I um, uncover gems that they haven't said on other shows. I listen to other interviews. I make sure that I provide actionable value for my listeners. And so I know that my show is actually changing lives. Like I just don't go on, talk about fluff, do whatever. It's really like a show about um, extracting wisdom from these super bright, successful, powerful people and uh, extracting that in a way that my audience can take action and improve their lives financially and professionally. And so that purpose, like that's my purpose, whether it's my podcast, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's anything, I want to help improve people's lives so that they can be more financially stable so that they can have better professional careers and make it and, and actually believe in themselves and have the tools that's needed to move their life in, in a better direction. And so I just want to help people in that way. So that's really what drives me. That's fantastic. So that's, you know, talking in terms of Simon Sinek, that's your why, that's your purpose. That's the reason you get up in the morning. That's why anybody should care. Fair? Yeah. So let me ask you, um, what I like about podcasts is when, I mean, regionally we've been able to interview some of the key business leaders in our Midwest market. And what it does is it allows them to kind of explain it, right? Because a mission statement on a, on a website is meaningless, right? Like when they speak on a trade specific matter involved in their industry, it's still kind of meaningless. People don't still don't understand why they want, would want to do business with them or why they would want to be their friend or why they would want to learn more about them and, and, and engage with them in their lives. And a podcast lets them kind of let their hair down, kind of just sit there and just be honest and kind of explain the reasons why they do what they do. And I'm a, I completely believe that people do business with people who believe what they believe. Right. Yeah. Um, you're somebody who Mark and I both have watched and you're amazing. Like some of the things that you've been able to do, it's just, it's just remarkable. Hey everyone, Mark and I are excited about this episode and all of our episodes. One goal of this podcast is to let everyone hear candidly from leaders themselves in their own words, unpolished and real. If you can realize that you can lead Make an impact and transform places and people from any role or position, regardless of title, regardless of what organization you're with, or even as a stay-at-home parent, as a leader, then we've met our objective. Please send us your comments, suggestions for who we should have as our next guest to brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. That's brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. Thanks for listening as always. And now back to our episode. Let me ask you, like, how would you define culture? Like your, your, your group, the group that you work with at Disney, like how would you define the culture? Like, What's a successful culture look like? Yeah, I mean, I would say that a successful culture is, um, first of all, when the employees feel trusted um, and the employees have, um, you know, the 
they know what their responsibilities are. You give them responsibilities, not tasks, and you don't micromanage them. You give them ownership over what they're supposed to do. And I would say like a better example of culture, I lead a team of 19 for Young and Profiting Podcast, and you'd be like, wow, 19 people to run a podcast? Um, we started uh, rolling out client services for marketing and um, just for select uh, you know, top podcasters. And um, I have a full-time job, so I need people who run my podcast because I'm not available, you know, 24 hours a day to, to run it. And I want it to be big, just like a regular full-time podcaster would have a podcast, right? And so ownership over responsibilities is so important. And I think setting foundations and, and good systems and processes so that people know exactly how to do what they're supposed to do and there's best practices and there's you know, uh, knowledge sources that they can go to so they can get trained up and, and be fully up to speed so that they can take ownership of their role, that's really important. And I think just overall, um, I learned this from Brian Scudamore, he's the CEO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and yeah, I recently I had exactly him on. Who he is. Yeah, it, yeah, he's it, great. Great business model, right. He's great, and um, he was telling me um, a lot of his tips in terms of company culture and he always talks about like how hiring is so important and hiring the right people because one bad apple can spoil the bunch right yep. and so he's very he's slow to hire and quick to fire and I think that's a really cool motto to have yep. um, and in terms of slow to hire uh, one of the things that he does is he, first of all, he makes sure that they have, have a good attitude. He cares more about attitude than skills and talent. It's more about the attitude that they have. Secondly, he either tries to hang out with them and like in a social setting and or he like imagines like if I was at a barbecue, could I hang out with this person? Like, would I enjoy working with this person? Right. So I, it's also a, a fit in terms of like personalities and making sure that it's the right personalities that match the group. And so um, for me, when I'm looking to hire folks from my team, um, I don't really care what they know. I can teach them. I can train them up. Um, it's more about if they're willing to learn, if they're if they have a good attitude, if they're positive. Um, and if they're ambitious and driven, and, and for me, that's that's the most important thing. And if you get happy, ambitious people, if you trust them, if you you know don't point fingers um, and work through problems that you have, um, do retrospectives. So when failures do occur, the team knows how to avoid them in the future. So we don't always have the same things happen over and over. Um, that's how you create a good team culture. It's it's a good processes ownership over, um, you know, responsibilities and enthusiasm. I think those, that's the secret sauce. That's fantastic. So great points. When we think about this, um, how in the world can people expect other people to work with their blood, sweat and tears and passionately and drive their mission, right? When they're like, look, your numbers are down this quarter. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to you if you don't get your numbers up. That's a terrible message. And I hear it all the time, right? I hear it from people. I hear it from colleagues that run businesses, sales organizations, things like that. As opposed to, you know, your numbers have been down two quarters in a row. What's wrong, right? There's no empathy, right? If they're able to exhibit empathy and say, what's going on? What can we do to help you? And then you find out the person's going through a divorce or the person has a ailing totally. older, older parent that is ill, right? And you're like, okay, got it. Do you need some PTO? Do you need some time off? Or do you need somebody to handle some administrative stuff so you can focus on what matters? 
and you adjust that on the dial and all of a sudden their productivity goes up. Because at yeah. the end of the day, I don't believe at all that we want people to do the tasks that we tell them to do. We want them to work for us and keep their eyes open and be passionate about it and to do more than what we expect. We want them to work for us for with their blood, sweat, and tears, right? And, yeah. and otherwise, they're just going to be there for the paycheck. And those are the people Completely. we don't want working for us. Completely. You, yeah, totally. You want somebody who's able to be proactive, but th that goes back to the trust thing that I was saying before. You have to be Absolutely. able to trust them. Yep. And trust is a feeling. It's a feeling. It's not, it's not, I mean, Simon Sinek has a whole thing about the, about the limbic brain and the neocortex, which is why when we're buying things, we can say, oh, I understand all the features and benefits, but, but it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. Why doesn't it feel right? Because we're not communicating to the part of the brain that actually drives behavior, right? We want to communicate with the trust element. We want to communicate with people that believe what we believe. And that's why um, identifying people that, that have all that passion. One thing I want to ask you is this. You said you were devastated when you didn't get the MTV piece? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so please dear god tell me about that because you gotta be kidding <laughs> sure. me i could totally see you being on tv like i could see yeah. you being on either big brother or bachelor or something else and thank god you weren't so <laughs> i have a lot more respect for you and so does your so did your dad and so do your parents so tell us what's going on like tell us what that was all about like what what yeah what sure devastated you that that you took that rejection and you Look that fire underneath you and you launched this. So what happened? Yeah, um, sure. So if I could just backtrack, I had a website and it was called the Sorority of Hip Hop. And um, hip -hop. I started Is Sorority of Hip Hop. Around? As I'm Googling no. it. Is it still around? Okay. No, you can find some like historical records. It's funny, like the like internet the, like basically the, acts the, like the we didn't make this. But... The way back machine? Yeah, it's in there if you go to the Sorority of Hip Hop or strawberryblunt.com. That was our bad name that I don't really Strawberry ever talk Blunt? about. Strawberry Blunt? Yeah, strawberryblunt.com. And really? we were the Sorority of Hip Hop. Really? Yeah, I was young. You couldn't have think about anything better than that. Okay, keep going. <laughs> it was it was cute, you know. It was catchy it. For, for the industry at the time. And we were young college kids, so we we ran with it, right? And we were the sorority of hip hop and we ran the blog site strawberryblunt.com or sororityofhiphop.com. And so we, I ended up having 50 bloggers under me at, at the wow. height of it. So 50 female bloggers, all and female, all in the industry. Time? How old were you? I was in college, so I was like 24, 24 so years old. So how many 24 year olds do we know that have 50 people working for them? There's not, <laughs> not a lot. So I was dropped out of college. I started this, this website. And um, it, that was after Hot 97. And um, oh, no, so I was back in college at this point. Sorry, I, I'm getting mixed up. So I was like 25, right? I was back in college, finishing up my last year and started this sorority of hip hop because I had I had paused college for a few years to work at the radio station. So mm -hmm. once I left Hot 97, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to school. Then I was in school and I was bored and I was like, I'm going to start this website. So um, I recruited girls off like Craigslist and I had a pretty big Twitter following at that time. And I was like, anybody like send me your picture. I wanted like pretty girls in it. Um, send me your picture. Tell me where you work. I'll teach you how to blog. I figured out how to build websites and do SEO and all that stuff. 
And so I built the website myself and did all the SEO and came up with our strategy and in, in, in terms of getting big. And within three months, we were like the one of the most popular hip hop and entertainment sites in the world. And so what I did is um, a lot of the girls had like big social media followings like that was one of the requirements like so not like a ton like I had like almost 10,000 and like other girls had like 5,000 at the time it was hard to have like huge social media followings it wasn't like today so um, basically what I did is I hooked up our blogs so that every time we put up a blog you would get 50 girls tweeting it out and it would at the celebrity and so the celebrities would retweet us and so we got popular really fast um, because you know if Drake retweets a post all of his followers see it and exactly. click on on the link to our website and so that's how we got really popular really fast so immediately wow. MTV found us and um, immediately MTV scouted us and they uh, did a very small pilot with us and they followed us around our uh, you know we had a radio show an online radio show they used to have like online radio stations where you would tell everyone you know sign on this website at two o'clock on Thursdays to, to see our show and then you'd put it up on YouTube that's what the the first model of a podcast was and I used to do those shows all the time and so um, MTV uh, scouted us they did a, a little pilot we didn't get it but we didn't care because we were like it's three months right. in MTV already wants us on their sh on their sh like who cares let's keep going right then like two years into it we were you know getting bigger and bigger we had more girls we were hosting parties now hot 97 was we were hosting parties with all the hot 97 DJs which were like the biggest parties in the city we were becoming like semi-famous in New York New Jersey like we were the strawberry blunt girls the sorority of hip-hop girls yeah. everybody wanted us at their parties whatever um, MTV reached out again and they're like this time like you guys are really gonna get the show they we signed paperwork I was the lead I was getting paid they shot us for three months they got us a studio on Broadway like imagine in the real world where they, they do a crazy studio and have all like our SB sign for strawberry blunt all this stuff um, and we got our hair and makeup done every time they shot and we had camera crews following us around for three months and I thought I was like this is it we made it I worked right. my butt off I, I you know uh, sacrificed everything I, I've like led these girls we have a popular site and now we're gonna be the and New Jersey Shore passed. and then time passed Right. Well, no. So, and then uh, we were we 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 shot this pilot, and um, I remember uh, Tiffany, uh, one of the producers, called me up. She's the one that found us, and she's like, "Hala, I have really bad news." And I was like, "Okay." And she's like, they, "You didn't get the show," and I felt like everything was over I was just like you know what I worked so hard for this this was finally the way that I was gonna be able to kind of make all these girls dreams come true I had 50 girls looking at me to make them famous to yeah. make it happen I was so young it was so much pressure and I was just like you know what I can't do this anymore I know I I can be successful I don't know if I can bring 50 girls along and try to make this happen anymore how long can I be the president of the sorority of hip-hop I, I even though in retrospective like I was so young you know when you're I, I was 27 at that time and I was like I'm so old like I'm too old to do this even though I wasn't but like you know you you get in your head whatever and so I uh, decided to shut it down and um, some of the girls really were upset with me they felt like it was the wrong decision but I decided to shut it down get my MBA and go into corporate and then I started a young and profiting podcast after that so um, that's kind of what happened um, you know 
I, I wonder what happened if we would have got the MTV show. Maybe MTV would be in a better spot because I think like nobody watches them anymore. Yeah, <laughs> and they was, never had a hit show say, after Jersey Shore. That's, that's pretty... Yeah, they never had a hit show after that. So it's like, who knows what would have happened. Yeah, uh, we, we, they were like, oh, we can put you on oxygen, all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to even deal with this. I don't want to be a reality TV star. There's more to life than this. And I kind of just like went on my own path. Interesting. Okay, everyone, let's take a break and play some brand culture trivia. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everyone, to Brand Culture Trivia, where the points don't matter, but the brand does. In this segment, we play a trivia game against our guest. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, along with my co-host, David Morrow. David, tell us about the rules and the awesome prizes. Absolutely. The rules are as follows. You get to guess as fast as you can. You get as many answers as you want. And the first one to give the right answer wins a point. The first contestant to three points wins the game. What do you get if you win? Glad you asked. You get 14,684 Brandology bucks. What is is that worth? Those are absolutely worthless. But we might send you a sticker for playing. So let's get started with brand culture trivia. David, why don't you spin the wheel of trivia and see what our first question is? All right, here I go. It is a heavy, heavy wheel. So for the first question in brand culture trivia, are you ready? Mark, are you ready? Yes, I am ready. And um, Hala, do you, do you go by Hala? Hala, yeah. Hala, okay. Want to make sure that I'm pronouncing it right, especially because there's so much brandology bucks on the line here. I know it's really important. I want to make sure that the banking, when we wire you those funds, <laughs> that they that they all get in. Okay, question number one. Question number one. Merchandise seven is the secret ingredient to what soft drink? Merchandise seven is the secret ingredient to what soft drink? Coca-Cola. What? Wow. Okay. That's there's that a point right? right there. That was amazing. No, I'm pretty sure it's tab. I'm pretty well, sure it's, it's tab. Tab. It's not tab. It's not tab. Tab is the stuff in the pink cans from like the 70s. No. Oh. Okay. Cool. All right. Great job. Great job. She's got one point. Holla. <laughs> great way to start. This is fantastic. Okay. Let's let's uh, keep it going. Question number two. What toy? What toy? did U.S. troops use as radio antennas during the wars to help extend the range of their radios? What toy? Oh, G.I. Joe. No, not G.I. Battleship? Or, no. No, that, not bad. Think of toys. Nope. They would extend... Legos. 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 How would Legos work, Mark? I don't know. <laughs> what uh, everybody loves Legos. Something that has extend the radio, the antennas. Bow and arrow. Oh my lord! No. <laughs> right, some you can know, a, right? Well, it has to be some sort of a tech. <laughs> was it some sort of uh, like video game platform or or like Nintendo or something like that? No, that's close. That's good. I'm going to give you guys the answer, and we'll we'll hold this point. Put it up on the shelf right here back in the studios. Um, <laughs> it is uh, the Slinky. 
The slinky. Oh. The metal oh. slinky, right? They would attach that oh. at the end of the radio to extend range, right? Think of like mm -hmm. the old school television yeah. that had the rabbit ears and how people would put like tinfoil on it. That's kind of the idea. Yep. Yeah. That I would have never guessed it. I would have never guessed yep. that. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's one of those things. I'm going with bow and arrow. Okay. <laughs> Let's go with this. Um, what company uses this slogan? Okay. What brand, what company uses this slogan? There are some things that money can't buy. For everything else, there's blank. No MasterCard. Wow, that was Cheerios. Great. Is that right? Yeah. Oh MasterCard. my God. What did you say, Cheerios? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I didn't understand the question. Okay, the question was: There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's Cheerios. <laughs> Everybody likes Cheerios. Okay, true. Just saying. Okay. Okay, here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. Um, what slogan was used for Lucky Charm cereal? What famous slogan is used for Lucky um, Charm cereal? Got milk. Got milk. Oh no, God. it's something about the rainbow. Just do it. No, I forget. I can't remember, but it, it's something about either luck of the Irish or something about the rainbow. It is their magically taste delicious. the rainbow. No, taste magically the rainbow delicious. Is, taste the rainbow is question number four, and that was Skittles. So now I can't. Yeah, do that. Damn, <laughs> now I get the I point. Known that. <laughs> All right, I'm All right he gets that. the point. I'm that one. I'm going to put that question right up by the Slinky question over in Studio B right there. So the, we're going to hold those, but you're still winning. Hala's still winning two to nothing. So that's two points for Hala, zero points for Mark Mosher, the co-host. So, Mark, if you had like 10,000 times the amount of points that you had right now, she'd still be beating you. <laughs> times zero. <laughs> she'd yeah. still be beating you. I get it. Okay. So, we got to really She's really try. good. Okay. How about this? Um, what brand of watch used the slogan, it takes a licking but keeps on ticking? Takes a it takes a licking, but keeps on ticking. Um, I think Ro that's a little Rolex. too like rough for Rolex. Rolex is so premium. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that they would talk Correct. about taking a licking. Correct. Something that's Correct. rugged. Uh, fossil. Fossil's a good guess. It's not right, but keep keep guessing. Keep guessing. Um. Uh. Mm, what's that other one that was like popular at one point? It rhymes with IMAX. Peg, Peg Hauer. Yeah, yeah. What's that? IMAX? No, it rhymes. Timex. There you go. She got it unassisted by me. That is great. <laughs> she wins. Congratulations, Hala. You are the winner of 14,654 Brandology bucks. I wonder what I can buy with all of that. Oh, That's amazing. Well, we've got, there's, there's a convertible Rolls Royce on the site. There's a, there's a brand new Tesla. We've got gear. We've got all these things. Royce. Oh yeah, yeah. When they when they found like Saddam Hussein, he was he was hosted with like five hundred thousand dollars in a hole. He had five hundred thousand dollars of Brandology bucks. So they're very, wow. very valuable internationally. I mean, they're really really important. So 
Okay, so we are going to get back to the interview. And uh, Mark, who is in our roving studios on the golf course in Indianapolis right now, Mark can uh, get back to uh, doing what, what he does best, and that is nothing. Yes, it's the charity just for the, chi- for the kids, all about right. the kids. All right, man. I will talk to you uh, later on this afternoon then. Thank you all very much. All right. Thank you. Hey, everyone. The Brandology team has a special coming soon, and it's the rise and fall of an iconic international social media platform. At its peak, the website was valued at over $12 billion and had 75,000 new users every day. But within a few short years, it was liquidated and sold for pennies on the dollar. What went wrong? What caused this huge brand to fizzle? It was launched in 2004 and was acquired just a year later for over a half a billion dollars from Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. In fact, for the next three years, it was the largest social media site in the world. In 2006, it surpassed Google as the most visited site in the United States. So where in the world is it? Why is your new band's music not on it? Why do you not have an account on it anymore? Why even is this ridiculous podcast not hosted on it? What happened and why did it happen? Come listen as we explore in this next series the rise and fall of the iconic social media platform, MySpace. Okay, so now let's get back to the original part. Sure. Interesting. So yeah. what what was the biggest challenge that faced you? Like like as as you look back over the last 10 15 years, what was the biggest challenge you overcame? The biggest challenge I overcame um I think was letting go of my dreams and then having to go back to them. So it's like think about it, I was in Let entertainment. Me, let me ask you this. Let me interrupt you for a second. I don't mean to be Yeah. Rude, when you say when you say interrupting my dreams, do you mean, because we all have this, right? We all have the perception of where our life is supposed to be at a certain age versus yeah. where we actually arrived. And I've yeah. done that my whole life, right? Because I achieved things well beyond what I meant to achieve in my early 30s. And then by my 40s, I was like, man, I'm not where I needed to be. And then, you, you know, it kind of like we have this preconceived notion of where we're supposed to be. Is that yeah. what I'm out? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like when I say dreams, it's like I always wanted to be a personality. Like, um, I'm living my dream right now. I'm the host right. of the Younger Profiting Podcast. It's the number one how-to podcast. I want to be as big as Tim Ferriss and Jordan Harbinger. I still have a long way to go, but I'm living my dream. And when I was, you know, the president of the Sorority of Hip Hop and had my online radio shows and my blog site, I was also living my dream. It was stepping into the world of being a face of something, having a voice, having a platform, being a leader. You know, I was leading those girls down, leading a team of 19, like being a leader, all that stuff, um, rather than being a cog in a wheel and a corporate job. And so when I was at HP and I had no outlet, I had no personal brand anymore. Um, I had completely changed my image. I was a corporate, you know, traditional corporate worker. And I thought I would never get back into radio or broadcasting again. I thought I would never have a voice again other than, you know, maybe becoming a CEO and working my way up in, in the, in the company, you know? Um, and so to me, that's what I mean. Like go back to my dreams. I mean, like go back to entertainment, go back to broadcasting and, um, yeah. 
So, so what key initiatives are you working on now? Like what is exciting you now? What is, what are you focused on in the next six to nine months? Yeah, so um, for those that don't know me, I am uh, a LinkedIn influencer, I guess. I hate calling myself an influencer, but you know, everybody tells me I am. So I uh, really focus on growing my personal brand more there. I really think that I could reach over like 100,000 followers uh, by the fall. Um, I'm getting like two, 3,000 followers a week these days. And so um, wow. it's growing really fast. Yeah, it's growing really fast. That's and, amazing. Congratulations. And so... Thank you. I have like about 60,000 followers now. And like I said, it's growing very fast. And my next uh, thing that I'm tackling is YouTube. So um, I really want to grow my brand and my podcast on YouTube. And I'm, I'm focusing very heavily on that. And then, like I mentioned, I started a podcast marketing agency. So I have other podcasters like Heather Monahan, Cassie Heller, who's the host of Don't Keep Your J Job. It's number one yeah, Apple podcast. All of, them, all of them we all know about. Anybody that's ever been on LinkedIn knows about Heather Monahan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those are my clients now. And so I'm handling all their, uh, you know, marketing content and, uh, and we're working on that. So that, that's really the main things that I'm working on right now. That's amazing. Thanks. So how do you, uh, how do you value technology? And I don't mean hosted technology like LinkedIn or platforms, but how do you protect your brand? And the reason is because we take the, you know, we look at things through the theoretical framework or the in industry framework of cybersecurity, right? And we don't have to talk about security, but how do you protect your brand, right? Because yeah. some of these brands can, I mean, we get involved so that you understand. We get involved when the shit gets real. We get involved when all the stuff falls apart and the FBI is involved and and photos are released and confidential information that you don't want to be public is public and it's being sold. And how do we, you know, how are you protecting yourself from, from making sure that either you or your clients or whomever that that doesn't happen? Like, what, how, how, how do you embrace that? Um, okay, so you're talking about like making sure that there's no like, you know, large uh, crises that happen um, right. in reference to my brand. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of quality control. So before any sort of content gets posted up, there's a, you know, a big review process. And so, um, you know, making sure that all content before it's posted is reviewed and vetted um, by like our senior copywriters and things like that. So not allowing someone to just have an idea and throw it up. It, there's uh, at least three people, me, including myself, at least for my own profiles that have to see and approve the content. Um, so I think having a strict QA and approval process is, is really important. And then I think it's also hiring and trusting the right people. So if you hire good people um, and you treat them right, and like we were talking about previously, and, and, and you know they embrace the culture and they respect and right. you know treat the company as if it was their own company, then already you've, you've decreased the chances of anything really crazy happen. And then also, um, you know, if we have like uh, something that I don't do 
issue that a lot of marketers do is like, you know, I could easily download my LinkedIn emails, you know, the 60,000 people follow me on LinkedIn and then start email blasting them. But that's like unethical and that's like not how you're supposed to do it. So making sure you have proper opt-ins um, for your newsletters, making sure that like, you know, if you do automation um, for your messages that it's personalized and that, um, you know, people are, would be open to getting those, those messages based on their previous actions, not just sending people the same message, um, no matter what actions they took, because that's how people kind of get pissed off. Oh, this is an automated message. Like don't send me an automated message. Right. Um, be more personal about it. So I think, um, that kind of stuff, like just targeting and uh, tailoring messaging towards who you're actually talking to can also help um, support um, making sure that, you know, your brand reputation is always in a good position. Um, the stuff that I do isn't super like, you know, risky in terms of brand. Um, I think when you have like a product, it's much uh, harder to maintain your brand reputation because if your product has a defect or something like that, um, you know, word can get around and you have to do some, um, you know, bandaging of, of that problem. So I don't think I have a, a business model that really has too much risk in that, in that regard, no, but um, no, that's what no, I do. Exactly. That's good. So let me ask you this. Um, one of the questions we always ask as we kind of wind things up is there's two questions. One, what's your favorite place you've ever traveled to? And then the other is what did you want to be when you grew up? And you can answer them in any order that you want. Sure. So, um, my favorite place that I've traveled been traveled to is Croatia. So I went to Croatia and it was beautiful and, um, they have an old city that is so cool. I would definitely recommend anyone to go, um, if, if they have somewhere to go or if they're going to Europe to stop by Croatia. Mm -hmm. And, um, also, you know, they have these things where you can take like boat rides and basically they'll like dock the boat in the middle of the ocean and uh, give you a bag to put like your cell phone and your stuff. And then you can just swim to the beach, hang out on the beach for like four hours, just like very remote beach um, and, and do things like that. So Croatia is beautiful. Totally. I feel like it's very underrated. I loved it. Um, and then in terms of, what was the second question? What did you want to be when you were a little girl? What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I wanted to be a singer. So like I always wanted to be a singer. I actually have recorded an entire album. My boyfriend is really? a famous music producer. Um, and Who's so that? I always, your, Harry, Harry Fraud. So oh, wow. he, he yeah, so he. Yeah, so he does all of French Montana's music, The Weeknd. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised you know him. <laughs> Not every, a lot of people know him, but like I, I'm just you know. But yeah, he's he's a big music producer, and I, I actually uh, met him when I was still singing and working at Hot 97, and uh, recorded a whole album with him. So that's what I wanted to be, and then I quickly realized that it's not the lifestyle I want, and um, I switched to radio, which is sort of like sort of similar. I get to use my voice. Um, and and be in the spotlight. Regular, it's more business related. It's more exactly. It's like I got to like mix my. It's more nine yeah. than anything else. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wasn't as good as being. I have a good voice, but I'm not Beyonce, so no, it's, <laughs> I realized quickly I I could be a, the best podcaster, not necessarily the best singer. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time today. That yeah, is thank fantastic. you so much. You've been you've been absolutely remarkable, and thanks for playing uh, Grand Trivia with Mark. And, it was fun. Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, we 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 aim for fun. 
This is what <laughs> middle-aged men try and do when we uh, when we create a podcast. And <laughs> we we just really enjoy being able to talk around the main mission statements, right? Because people yeah. have their brand and they have their taglines and they have their mission statements, and a podcast allows us to to really get into the the weeds with it, right? And just yeah, cool. You know, what's it all about? And so, well, thank you so much. I'm sure this is not our last David. conversation. And uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, David. Have a great day. Okay, you too. I'll see you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, David, that was another great episode. We tend to post one or two a week. Uh, unfortunately, don't really have a way of wrapping this up. No, uh, no, we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological. Um, thank you for listening. Please follow and subscribe. Turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode, you will be notified of the new content. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for listening. 